All right, I'm here with McKay Smith, assistant coach, strength coordinator. I am not the strength coordinator. I am the assistant coach and get defensive bit, coordinator. Get a little bit closer. Yeah, you're good. There you go. Okay. What is, sorry, assistant coach and uh, defensive coordinator? Assistant coach and defensive coordinator. That is correct. Yeah. Of the number one ranked team of the nation, Cal State, Long Beach. Man, do you say Long Beach State or Cal State? You know, we say Long Beach State. Whenever referring to athletics, we always use Long Beach State, and yeah, I think it has a better ring to it. No, I was uh, I was going to interview. I was starting my interview with Coach Q. He's an assistant coach yep. for the basketball team. I know Coach and, Q. And Rod and I was I said Cal State Long Beach, and Rogers like it's Long Beach State. That's right. And I was like, All right, it does sound a little better. It does. It's got a better ring for athletics, especially. And you ask anyone, just like you said, Coach Q, or you ask baseball, you ask any sport, they're going to say Long Beach State. Yeah, for sure. I guess some of them will say the dirtbags. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, That's so right. we're so we're here, and y'all got Lewis Lewis University coming into town tomorrow night. That's correct. This will be airing after that game, so hopefully we'll be talking about a W. That's right. Yeah, man. So what? Uh, what? So your defensive coordinator. Your hang on. I have your I have your accolades listed right here. Let me give you a proper introduction. AVCA thirty under thirty selection. Uh, you went to OCC, brought him a state championship uh, as an as an assistant coach as well. Twenty one and one record that year. That's right. Uh, you have uh, oh nine four nine volleyball junior nationals. Yep. Yep. Bronze, so. golds, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you played pro in the Czech Republic. Is it the Czech Republic or just Czech Republic? It is just Czech Republic. Yeah, just Czech Republic. I played one year professionally over there. Had a great experience. Uh, yeah. Um, and came back and wasn't sure if I was actually going to go back abroad or whatnot, but I started training on the sand um, to try and continue the playing dream and keep it alive. Uh, but unless you're winning every tournament on the sand or you're on the professional or international tour, you need to pay the bills. Yeah, so that's kind of how I started coaching. OCC, I actually played at OCC before playing at Long Beach State, so I... I was living in Costa Mesa. I was living nearby, so I called uh, my good friend Travis Turner. And ended up coaching for him those two years, won a state title, and really started falling in love with coaching. I was coaching at Nine Four Nine Volleyball Club uh, during that time as well. Nine Four Nine—that's like that's like Riverside or something, right? No, it is what South is Orange County. There oh, was actually okay. it's a club by a guy named Justin De Blasio who. He was my first volleyball coach ever. Um, he's a great guy, and he, not only did he teach me the sport of volleyball, but also gave me my first opportunity to coach. So, shout out to Justin. He, you know, helped me get into this career path that I'm on now. So, all right, man. Yeah. So, uh, middle blocker, right? That's what, hence the defensive coordinating. That's correct. That's correct. So, so we got we got a stud, Simon Torwe. That's right. So I was check. He's from he's from Spain, right? So Simon's an interesting one. He's German. Oh, right? he's so his family's okay. German. Uh, he played for the German youth national team. That's how we found him. Uh, uh, but he grew yeah. up in Spain. So his parents live in an island off the coast of Spain. So he actually has dual citizenship. That doesn't suck. Yeah, he's someone you should you know maybe look at bringing on the podcast because he's a very interesting dude. Oh yeah, he multi- knows multi uh, all kinds of languages. He's well traveled. He's he, he's the team DJ um, <laughs> for practice and warm ups and all that. Uh, I, yeah. I've I've caught the beginning of your practices before I go talk to the to the women's team right. players and coach, and he plays bangers. Yeah, 
That that he does. <laughs> I think we got a few good DJs on the team, and I think that that really helps set the tone for practice. Uh, if you got good music and good vibrations, it's hard to have a slow start to practice. So we definitely encourage you know getting the speaker on as soon as our time starts and getting moving. Do you play it the whole time? Uh, we'll play it throughout warm-ups, throughout mm-hmm. dynamic, through some of our skill training stuff, we'll keep it playing. And then as practice gets a little more technical and a little more direction is being given, the music mm-hmm. kind of slowly dies down. Okay. So it depends on the day and depends on what we're working on. Yeah. All right. All right. So we got, this is this other guy, Dearis McRaven, mm-hmm. which McRaven is one of the coolest last names we've ever heard in my That's life. That's right. Right. Double capitals like it's Irish. So it might be Scottish or something like that. I don't know. But yeah. these Mix something rather. I like that name. But he played. He played a little. He's been getting, you know, scattered minutes here and there. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's. Yeah. Dearis has done a great job since he got here last year. He's a junior college transfer as well. He's originally from Hawaii. Um, but he went he's, to your alma mater, right? That's right. Yes. That's right. Um, go Pirates, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dearis has been doing a great job. Um, really, our whole middle unit is doing a great job. Like we got. We got six, seven guys that you know could play at any given moment and do a good job, and they all bring uh, something a little different to the table. So you got Dearis doing a great job. Obviously, Lazar Buchkov um, has been doing great things as a true freshman. Uh, ben Braun, who you got a glimpse of last week if you're at our matches. Uh, you got Derek Owens, who's instant offense. You got Noah Robin, who's and Aiden Gross, who are both dialed with the system. You even go down to Josh W. Like all of our guys could play in the middle position. We are very deep right there, and that's, you know, it's it's a good problem to have as a coach, especially when you're looking at trying to get more blocks and more points on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that's and that's the name of your game. So when you go and scout another team as a defensive coordinator, tell me your, your thought process. Well, uh, the way we do it, you know, you got a checklist, right? You got a checklist and you're looking at, okay, what's the basis of this team's offense? Like, what is their offense based off? A lot of times teams are, you know, based off the athletes they have, you know, in any sport, right? Any sport, no matter what it is, it's about getting your best athletes the ball in their favorite situations, mm. right? So yeah. it's, like, it's like the movie Kicking and Screaming. There you go. Give it to the Italians. Give it to the Italians, exactly. <laughs> yep, and drink a lot of coffee. That's what I learned from that movie. <laughs> Picks you up, calms you down. It's a drink of champions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but like I was saying, offensively, any sport. Right. Right? About getting the ball to your best athletes in their favorite spots, right? Look at look at the early 2000 Lakers dynasty. Mm, mm-hmm. Their offense was built around what? Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. You Shaq get, and get it Kobe. down to triangle, get it down to Shaq. Exactly. He gets double team. Kobe gets a little And then Kobe gets to work or... his magic mid-range and you know use some of his versatility, but obviously you're getting the big fellow of the ball in the paint mm. where he can dominate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not uh different in our sport, right? You got to one determine all right, who's their guys, right? Who's their main guys that the offense is based around of and let's say they're going to give the ball to in crunch time moments. So when they need a point, they need a side out. Who's that ball going to, right? And then from there, you're looking for a couple things, right? Do they run a fast offense, right? That's the the trend in today's game. Almost everyone, you know, that you play is running some sort of tempo. You'll see okay, Lewis okay, this weekend yeah, running tempo to their set. Let's yeah. explain what that means, because for basketball, it's very obvious. You're getting up and down the court. You're taking a lot of shots. Right. What does right. that mean in volleyball? So in volleyball, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you're talking about how fast they are setting the ball really to their pin attackers, right? Because 
you'll see in a volleyball offense, the middle attackers are always up early. Yeah. Right? They're almost always running something fast where they're actually in the air as the setter's getting the ball in his hands. Now, let's go back Let's go back in time a little bit, all right? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the game was a little slower as it was set the ball higher and let the, you know, the attacker have a little more vision, a little more range, a little more ability to manipulate the ball. Yeah. Now, as the game progresses, right, and the offense is trying to get, you know, more difficult to stop, now we're setting a faster ball to the pin attackers on both sides, plus setting a middle guy, right, who's already up in the air. And now even you got a guy out of the back row who's starting his jump as the ball's in the setter's hand. So everything just happens faster. So as a blocking defense, you don't get to sit, wait, right, and just react to a ball that's set, right? You got to have a plan in place. You got to have your, uh, your blockers in position to deal with that sort of tempo and offense. So it's more it's a sharper angle that these sets are coming off of the hands of. Yes. So with, from the yeah. setter's hand to the attacker you're going to see that ball more of a straight line. Right. Right rather than an up and down lob type of uh, motion. Yeah, yeah. cuz these dudes they get they get a straight up wall. Yes. You yeah, because like if you give time you can, you're going to deal with, you know, if not six hands at least four hands. Right, and yeah. yep, they're going to be together. They're going to be taking up as much uh, court as they can. So when you when you were a, a middle blocker, how uh, you know there's the they did this thing for uh, what's his name Dennis Rodman. It was like a thirty for thirty. He talked about how he would just watch people shoot balls, and he would just see how it yep. bounced off He'd of the, study how it would come the off rim the and rim, stuff like yeah. that. So as a middle blocker, do you study like body movement or how that ball is coming off the hand of the setter? So that's exactly it right there. You're watching the setter's hand. So okay, yeah. with with that tempo we're talking about, middle blockers are the one they're trying to, you know, put up a wall against every single person who's attacking. So the faster it gets, the harder that gets. Mm-hmm. Now it comes from hundreds and thousands of repetitions of, right, having the eye work to see how the ball comes off the setter's hands, or you're also looking for any tells that the setter might give, to give a. a a football analogy, right? Yeah. A defensive back's going to read the quarterback's eyes, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. As right. as a middle blocker, quarterback might look them off. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, in a setter, right, is basically your quarterback of your offense in our game, right? A setter's going to have his tells either by where his hands are facing, where he's taking the ball. Sometimes guys will get their back arch to set the ball um, over their head, right? So, when we're watching film during the week, middles are watching setters. Are there any tells you can pick up on that's going to give you that extra, you know, just a little bit quicker step to get your block formed in the right direction? You know, so that's basically what they're looking at. They're reading the setter's hands. It also comes from looking in, at percentages and tendencies from a team, which we have as well. Right, we go through that over the week and then putting your putting your guys in the best position to succeed based off that. Now, how much, how much does analytics play into scouting? Because what you said – Leading up to the numbers was a lot about the eye test. Right. Right, right, right. So it, it's a combination of both, obviously, right? You have to watch film. You have to watch video. You have to, you know, get a feel for what it looks like real time. And then also there's the pregame where you're watching, you know, your guys go or the adjustment you're making mid-game because it looks a little different real time than it does in video. Um, but then we also have the analytics to go in alongside that. So we'll have a scouting report. Uh, we have a guy on staff. His name's John Perry. They call him the Wizard. Shout out to uh, the Wiz. That's exactly right. You you uh, you see him on our bench. He's got the laptop in his lap. He's he's live coding 
what's happening in the game. Oh, wow. So he's live time able to code, okay, the serve went to this guy. This guy passed it on this side of the court, and the setter set that guy, and his attack was good or it got touched by the block. That's all happening in real time. So you, you're you getting that information live time. You're also getting all that information at the beginning of the week as you prepare for an opponent, and you're getting a whole scouting report packet. Um our job as coaches is take this whole packet with all this information, right? Condense it, you know, into the most important keys, yeah. right? Along with what we see visually when we watch on video to deliver that message to our guys, right? So you could give them the, you know, 300 page packet of all the analytics, right. yeah. but, you know, what I don't know any athlete that has the time even to go through that whole 300 page packet. Right. So I mean, you guys only play once a week. Yes. But. They there's, still have that student aspect. Student of, athletes, student and, athletes, and, and yeah. shout out to our student athletes. They're going to get honored tonight at the men's basketball game. Actually, um, we've had more academic all stars than ever on our team. Uh, we got some on the dean's list of their majors, on the president's list. Our guys do a great job in the classroom, so I got to give them a shout out there. That's oh, part of my nice. job too, is being the academic liaison between right their counselors, their professors, and whatnot, and making sure that they're staying on top of the classroom. So. I gotta, you know, give my guys some props on that. We got a bunch of guys doing great things off the court too. That's great, man. That's yeah. great. I was also deemed an academic all star in my sophomore year of high school, but that's because I didn't make grades. It was kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I, hey, look, hey, presidents list two smashes in a row. It's a different leaf over here for Daniel McMahon. Boom, baby. That's Boom, right. Babe. That's right. Okay, so we were talking a little bit about uh, recruitment. Yep. And uh, you were talking about competing against Stanford for uh, a gentleman that is one of the better players, right? That's right. Yeah. I forgot his name, but he's missed the last five matches. That's right. Uh, we, so, yeah, I well, mean, it's uh, uh, to compete with the Stanford, yeah. compete with the UCLA, compete with Hawaii, all the top programs. Yeah, that that's our competition. Um, especially in our program, we're able to, one, you know, have our, our pool that we recruit from be a little bit smaller. You know, we're fortunate enough in that regard um, that we don't need to throw, you know, the huge fishnet, you know, and, and try to see what we can catch. Right. We have a pretty good idea early on. We do our homework as recruiters. Um, we're involved in the USA youth programs. We're involved in coaching club. We're at, you know, as many tournaments as we can throughout the year. Right. So we have a pretty good sense of when we do see a guy we like um, and we go after him. Um, but recruiting is huge in this game. Obviously, you know, you could you could be the greatest coach in the world and you can have the the most genius system and way to teach the game, but if you don't have the athletes, right, you're going to have a tough time in any sport. So, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. X's and O's only goes so far. Um, so when you do what what is your selling point when you cuz I mean, I've been to Stanford's campus. It is not to downplay Long Beach State. It's a great campus and right. everything, but Stanford, great campus. UCLA, also like nice facilities and stuff like that. What's your selling point? You know, it's the program and it's the culture. Yeah, right. It's the program and it's the culture. So, one shout out to our head coach, Coach Knipe. Right, he is over twenty years coaching here. He's also was our USA Olympic coach in London in twenty twelve. Uh, has experience coaching around the world, um, playing around the world. He was actually a player on our uh, 
university's first national championship team in 1991. I was going to say that. I looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I I bring him up when I talk about that because the culture he has created is something pretty special, right? So I was fortunate enough. I was here as a student athlete, and my first couple years, that's when Coach uh, took his leave to coach the USA Olympic team. And uh, and he came back for my junior and senior year, and that was when he really started the root of what our culture looks like now. Um, he brought back a lot of professionalism, um, an international way to play the game. Um, one of the things that's you know pretty special about our program is we take time on our culture, right? Mm. It's not just something that happens. Uh, you guys one, are like a fraternity. One of the coaches, yeah, the, I, not the word I would use, but sorry, <laughs> uh, club. Yeah, well, what we have is, you know, one of Coach's favorite quotes is, "Everything's going. Every group, team, family, business, you're going to have a culture, right? If you have a group of people together, there is going to be a culture, and it's either going to be by default or b- by design, right?" So your culture will just be by default. It's just whatever happens when you get these personalities together working on, you know, this common goal or whatever it is. Laissez-faire. Yes. And that can go any way. It could be great. It could be good. It could be medium. It could be up and down. But when your culture is built by design, there's some purpose to it, and it's going to tend to trend in the way that you want it to go, right? So we spend our entire fall, which is our off-season semester, uh, we meet every Monday in the fall. We call it our retreat, our team retreat. So not in the sense that we go off for a weekend out to the woods together. We do it on, you know, over a span of a month and a half to two months, every single Monday where we work through these exercises that are all about team building and culture. Mm. Right. So going over what's expected, standards, rules, um, creating job descriptions for our guys, job descriptions, even to the point of your position, you defining it as a group of outside hitters, right? What is your job description to be on the court? So right, because they, they grew up playing the position, right? but within this system, you need a very yes. specific definition of their... That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And you want every year, you know, to maybe you're adding something new. So we do it every year, even though some guys have been through it two or three years, because we say all the time, this isn't you know, the 2023 team, it's not the 2022 team. We're not trying to be the 2018 team, right? We're trying to be, you know, this version of Long Beach State men's volleyball, which is the 2024 team, right? So going through that process every year, we assign the guys books to read by class, right? So so every class will read a book, right, during that time, and then they'll actually present that book to the rest of the team, Um and their version of the book, and not just a, a, a report of what happened in the book, but okay, what happened in the book and how is that going to apply to our team, right? And how we're becoming stronger as a unit and how we're going to use lessons from this book to battle through adversity and, and whatnot. So we do that every single fall, and that's awesome. So, okay, so what, that's, that's dope. What kind of books are they? Uh, there's, there's a, we have a whole list, and the list keeps kind of growing as more books come out or right, as guys sometimes will, will read some books when they're not assigned it. You know, so we'll give them new books to read. But from the gold standards of Coach K book about the Redeem team, right, when LeBron James and Kobe and all these guys came back after the U.S. Uh, men's basketball team lost in the Olympics. Yeah, didn't um, medal, right? Yeah, didn't medal, yeah. right? Um, Which getting anything but gold is a loss for, for USA yep. men's basketball, but yeah, and not even getting on the podium. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he talks. That's what. That's just one book. All freshmen read this book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a book about a fictional startup business, um, but it all. All it talks about is opportunities to build trust with a unit. Right. So. It goes through the dif- these different dysfunctions that happen on all kinds of teams, uh, businesses, sports teams, whatnot, like uh, a fear of confrontation, right, or right, uh, dishonesty and things like that. So it, it, it goes into depth about the dysfunctions of a team to kind of help equip yourself to not be that team that has those, those dysfunctions. Uh, mindset's one we read. Outlier's one we read. Legacy's a great one. Um, about the New Zealand All Blacks, okay, right, which is the most dominant team in rugby, right? Rugby, if you pay yeah. attention to that, they do. I, I don't pay attention to that, but I do know who it is. Yeah, they so do that's, those. It's a great you know, book little, to check out. I was gonna say little dances, those intimidating dances before. Yeah, the their haka. Games. What is it called? The haka is what the that's haka. called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that book is is great because it's all about uh, sacrifice for the unit. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. And they talk about how it didn't matter if, you know, they had a guy who's a, a four time player of the year and 10 time, you know, medal or has has won medals 10, 10 years in a row on their team. He still does the, what they call sweeping the sheds. He's still cleaning the locker room. It doesn't, it's not for the freshmen to do. It's not for the sophomores to do. It's not for the last guy on the roster to do. Everybody sweeps the sheds. And that's just an example uh, from that book. It's about, you know, self sacrifice for the greater good of the team and, Right, not having a seniority when it comes to things that should be done by everyone. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure that's one of the biggest hurdles you you have as a premier ball club, where you have uh, you know, wherever they come from, they were the top dog, and yep. they've probably been the top dog for a while, and then you kind of slide into this system where you might not be the best player, could get a little bit need a little bit of an attitude check for taking a back seat to where you're normally the star. Yeah. Um, we talked recruiting earlier, and one of the things we tell our recruits, it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done coming to our program. Yeah. Right? Hardest thing you've ever done, but also at the same time, it'll be ultimately super rewarding. Right? It's because of the level um, we have in our own practice gym and the depth we have, right? We can recreate, you know, playoff atmosphere on a Wednesday afternoon, right? In our own gym with our own guys. Um, historically, right, when you have your team, you're usually creating drills, competition drills, to stack the odds um, against the starting team's favor. Okay. Right? To okay. make it more difficult for them. So is that what you do? You have your 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 top five always go out there together? Like a first uh, unit versus a second unit? Traditionally and historically, that's the way it has been, yeah. right, in the past. We're at a point right now, right, the starting unit, right, is really an extension of 12 guys. That could all fulfill different roles, even though you're seeing, right, a certain group that does start in, in some matches. The margins are okay. Starting it's, so it's Buchkov, mm-hmm. Godbold, yep, um, Torwi, Shiopanis, Siopanis, yep, no, no, yeah, Shiopanis, yep, and um, Knight, Briggs, Briggs, and Knight, yep, and Skylar Varga. Varga, that's the that's okay. our starting unit right that, now that you yeah. see. Um, but like I said before, talking about depth in the middle, we got that on the pins as well. So there's an extension of it. You got Nathan Harlan, right, could go in at either outside position. You see him sometimes even come in to serve and set and run an offense. He's one of the most versatile players in the country and would start on 99% of the teams in the country. Um, 
you got guys like Daniil Hershchenovich, who's a true freshman, opposite out of Canada, who's doing great things as well, right? And even though he's not in that spot right now, we talk all the time and we work on all the time, you know, making these flips in practice, right, that we could do in any game if it was just a matchup that we needed. So... You guys got a deep bench. We do. How many? Do. How many? How many dudes are on the team? Like twenty so or something. We're bigger than we've ever been right now. There's 31 guys on the roster now. Crazy. You have you have a good amount of guys redshirting. Okay. Right. Yeah. Two guys actually joined this semester for the first time. They oh. they were committed Late transfers. They huh? were committed to come in uh, fall of 2024, but they're such good students. They said, you know, why don't we graduate early instead of, you know, wasting half a year with my high school team. Right, I'm. I can graduate early. I can get a head start on my units uh, for my degree, right? And I can also come learn the system, right? Mm-hmm. As I redshirt this semester, get in your gym, get to know the guys, get to learn from. You know, obviously we got a strong senior class this year. Uh, get to see those guys and how they work and compete and handle business firsthand. So, this is the first time we've ever had two guys graduate early, but they're doing great and they're loving the experience. So nice, and I'm sure they're quite undersized compared to the that starting six, seven that we just talked about earlier. Well, well, both, those guys, both those Liberos, so Okay, yeah, okay, they, so they that's good. Are that's undersized, good. Yeah, but you guys, these the dudes we just mentioned is right. the top six jacked, right? Okay, so let me let's get into like workout regimen and so we're talking about practice. You say you can have a playoff atmosphere on a Wednesday. Yep. So are we going, you know, hundred percent on Wednesday? Well, yes, we are. Um, and and let's get into like weight training too a little. Yeah, bit. let's yeah. talk. I'll talk a little bit about our weekly regimen. So, um, Alan does a great job of setting up uh, a professional type regimen to the week. Um, now, you can only do this if your guys are able to handle things professionally, right? Yeah. We had a younger team, and we needed to grind more. We would grind more, right? But because of the culture that's been established, right, you either you know keep up or you get left behind with how we do things. It's But looking at the week, right? So normally in our conference, the Big West Conference, when we, when we get there, you're going to play back-to-back nights. You're mm. going to play Friday, Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Right? So back-to-back nights, which is, you know, it can be taxing on the body. Right. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, y'all are only the, playing like once. Well, you did do back-to-back days against UCLA. We did, yep. And that's in and preparation did, for a conference. Yeah. Right? And you have done a couple like the first yep. weekend. You had back-to-back, and We've then had, we like, we, we tried to do early. that as much as possible. And we had it, you know, start off the season, the last few weeks, and now we're getting into. We have two weeks of one match, okay. uh, per week, which kind of gives the, them a little bit chance to you know rebuild their strength and recover a little bit when you only play once a week. But it is in preparation for those back-to-back matches right. during conference. Yeah. So when you have back-to-back, a lot of jumps, a lot of swings, right? We like to make sure that you get to feeling good again, right? So given our main guys that get a bunch of jumps and swings, we try to give them two days off of, of max jumping. Okay, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. So on a Monday, right, let's say we're coming off conference back-to-back nights. Sunday they come in, they do their rehab and all that. They just do pretty much treatment and whatnot. Everyone's plan's a little different. But Monday's when we report for practice. We'll start off with visualization with coach, right? We'll set kind of our goals for the week, right? The guys who have jumped a lot, they'll have a, a lighter load physically that day, and it'll be more technical. So if I'm a setter, I'm gonna, I'm not going to jump or do any live drills, but I'm going to set, you know, 500 to 1,000 balls at targets, right, and just get the feel. Mm-hmm. If I'm a serve receive mm-hmm. guy, I'm going to pass right 500 to a thousand, you know, serves, 
right? Or guys off the box or float serves or we'll bust out our jump serve machine, right? That can replicate 70 mile per hour jump serve. Is that like right? a volleyball jugs machine or something? It's just like a jugs machine. Oh, That's exactly what very it is. Cool. So it's up very on a cool. stand. It's got three jugs to recreate spin, right? Rather than you're thinking of the football one, right? Yeah. 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 Or even baseball. Something yeah, like, or like a baseball, baseball practice thing, one. Yeah, yes. For sure. So yeah, we use that. And those guys, that'll, that'll be the majority of their practice. Um, and then they'll go do some more treatment with our trainers. And then kind of the younger core who didn't jump as much Friday and Saturday, we start a full competition practice then with them. Right? So Okay, yeah. So you're giving your main guys two days off of max jumping. We get to Tuesday and Wednesday, right? That's what, Those are really the grind days of the week. So we'll go, we'll use the full practice time. We'll get technical training in. Maybe it's specific to something we saw the week before that we need to work on mm-hmm. or specific that like we need to use against the opponent coming up at the end of the week, right? But we'll get into competition and we'll go full three hours and full jump and full competition. Might get heated, all that. That's our Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> okay. Um, Thursday, right, you try, to, um, you try to go just as hard but a little bit shorter. A little uh, bit shorter uh, leading up to... Right, as far as time goes. Yeah. Right. So you want to go just as hard. You want to feel like you know you're going to be the next the next night when it's game time. Right. As far as ready to go, bringing energy to the game, bringing enthusiasm, dialed in your preparation. As far as what we're doing uh, schematically, um, but you try to shorten the time a little bit to come into Friday and Saturday with fresh legs. Yeah. So maybe um, do like best of three instead of five or something like that? Or yeah, you, or you we'll just, just, we'll, just we'll give it a time limit. Like right. our practice slots till two, maybe we'll cut it at one thirty. We'll get a real good stretch and a mobility and foam roll after that. We'll do some video and get the guys out of there. So Awesome. Yeah. On that, you also add in Mondays and Wednesdays we lift during season after practice. If you're a red shirt, you're lifting three to four days, you know, during the season. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they gotta get they gotta get big, baby. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's your time. That's your time to build the beast. Uh, but even and then throughout the week, we'll have different video check-ins uh, with either positional groups or individual guys, or you know, you're either watching practice video of them to help them improve, or you're watching the opponent in individual sessions. But we'll add that with a couple team sessions, and you know, that's pretty much what the week looks looks like. And hopefully by Friday and Saturday, you've done your job. It's about getting some touches, you know, refresh the scouting report, and let's go compete and free up the dogs. Yeah, that's right. Free up the dogs is correct. So we got uh, earlier when we were talking outside, which I want this to be mentioned in the podcast, um, we're talking about defense or rotations on the defensive side and alignment as well. So could you give the listeners a little bit of a rundown on the background of all what's going on before a pre-surf? Yeah, that's one of the things about our sport, right? If you're just going to your first volleyball match, and I encourage any listeners here who aren't familiar with volleyball, I encourage you to get get to the pyramid and check out our sport because um, it's one of the best kept secrets in NCAA sports, right? It, it's, it, real quick, like it's so much different it live than it is yes. on TV. I mean, I'm I'm entertained by it on TV because I've seen enough of it live, right? But if you like, especially if you're in the sandbar or the the bar, yeah, the yeah. sandbar, yep. you're watching these serves come at you pretty much, and yep. they're moving like a like CC Sabathia's sinker or something like that, man. That's that's right. You can't you can't compare watching it's awesome on the screen to watching live. You free got, entry with your student ID, people. I've been putting that on the on the good. PSAs I appreciate, lately. Appreciate yeah, I appreciate you putting the word out. Yeah, yeah, you got these guys who are anywhere from six six to six foot ten, seven feet who jump 
30 plus to 40 inches and they're hitting the ball at each other 70 miles an hour and yeah. putting their body in front of the ball to not let it hit the floor. It is a fast-paced, fun, exciting game. And there's no place to watch a volleyball game like the pyramid, right? We got to, you know, luckily we're right in the middle of Southern California. So we're kind of in the mecca of, of volleyball savvy, you know, fan base and whatnot. So you get a, a great crowd that understands the game. Uh, the sand pit, as they call it, right, or the Long Beach Nation, they do a great job of coming in and bringing energy every single time. It's it's one of the best environments you're going to see in all of college sports, especially in our sport, right? So let's also add, Big West Premier Conference for men's volleyball. One hundred percent, you got, absolutely. You know, three top six teams right in our conference, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then Santa Barbara, San Diego, and Northridge are all good teams as yeah. well. They're all in that right top group. Um, so what we're saying, rotations, I was getting to, if you're not a volleyball fan, that's one thing that might be hard to understand is how you rotate on the court, how you line up on the court. So you have six guys on the court. You have three in the front row, as they call it, and three in the back row. And you're rotating in the same order every time, right? As if the other team is serving and you get the point, we call that a side out and you will rotate and one guy will go back to serve, Right. So, basically how that works, right? If you're in the front row, right? Let's say I'm left front. I can't be on the right side of the guy who's middle front. And before the ball is served, I have to line up that way. After the ball is served, you can move to wherever you want, right? And let's say I'm left front. I can't be behind, behind being further from the net, right? Than the guy who's in left back, right? So... Because of this way, that's why you'll see the teams line up in a different formation before each serve, right? It's all based on where you are on the court, right? But you still want your setter to be in a spot where he can get to the net and run offense. You want your passers to be in a spot where they're far enough back that they can receive the serve, right? You want your middle blockers or your opposite attackers, if they're not passing, to be in a spot where they can come in and have athletic and offensive routes, right? So that's all kind of part of the game. Right, it's just one of the nuances and rules that maybe someone who didn't grow up playing volleyball or watch enough they might not understand. So now, why don't you just line up straight up, just to get just to throw off the serving or something? Uh, define what you mean by straight up. Keep, well, keep if, going with if that. The, if if the court were if uh, okay, so if opposite and uh, okay, so basically I'm trying to think of this. So you have one, two, three in the front, one, two, three yep. in the back, right? Yep. Why don't you line okay. up straight up like that? Yep. So each you know? each yeah. each player, even though you're in a certain spot on the court, you have your own position. What you play, right? So your outside hitters, your uh, your liberos. If you're an opposite on our team, you all have to be able to uh, receive the ball or receive a serve. Mm-hmm. So you want those guys deeper in the court because you got guys hitting the ball seventy plus miles an hour, right? And you want some time to react and be able to manipulate that ball to where you want it to go, right? If you're a setter, you're the quarterback of the offense, right? You're going to rotate around, but we want you getting to the net every time to run our offense. So that's why we're going to put you in different spots based on the rotation so you can have the easiest path to the ball and do your job. Uh, The middle blockers, right, or as we like to say in our program, middle athletes, because they do a lot more than just block. Oh, okay, Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, They, right, predominantly will play through the front row. Right, and you'll see them make that hockey substitution for the libero, mm-hmm. who specializes only being able to play in the back row. Mm. Right, so your middles traditionally right are very physical, tall, big, or they can jump out of the gym. We got guys that can do all that. 
right? And they try to be as physical of a presence and uh, controlling the net offensively and defensively. And usually they're not a part of your serve-receive, right? So you have them up closer to the front or off to the side to not be in the way of the serve, but still be able to be an offensive threat. Um, so those are, those are some of the reasons why you won't see them just go, all right, you three here, you three up front, right? And plus you want to be in as fast as the game happens. You want to be in the best position possible, right, to do your job. So right. if I'm a front row opposite, why would I stand at the net when I want to be – 15 feet off the net so I can have a big old runway, jump as high as I can, hit the ball as hard as I can. So I'm going to start a little further back. Oh, yeah. Well, if that I'll, makes sense. Yeah. And uh, how about you explain the the rule with the line as well? Right. The three-meter line. The three-meter um, line. There we go. Yep. That's some called the 10-foot line. It's very close to that. Okay. Right. So that's what defines front row and back row. Yeah. Um, as far as being able to attack, right? So an attack is, you know, when a guy jumps up and tries to right? Hit the ball, right? So when you're in the front row, you can attack from anywhere. There's no limitations. We can set the ball right on the net. You can jump up and and get on it. Mm -hmm. When you're in the back row, you can still attack, but you have to jump from behind. You have to take off behind that three-meter line, right? So the way the game works now, everyone attacks, front row and back row, right? Um, So you'll have guys always offensive, but they do have to take off behind that line. So even... Just like a footfall, if your toe's on the line at all, that's a you know a three meter line violation. That's a point for the other team, mm. right? So it comes down to a lot of reps and rhythm of, you know, I'm looking at the ball and trying to make a read on the play. I don't look down at that line. I just know where I am on the court, have a little bit of awareness, and be able to take off clean. and And if you watch our team, we got we got some guys who can absolutely kill the ball from the back row, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's it's great to watch. So I want to ask you a little bit about um, about your career. All right, so you uh, you played in Europe a little bit, but let me let me get back to uh, when you were a kid, right? Yeah. So this Southern California, big volleyball area, like yep. you already mentioned. This is this this is the center of it. How did you get into volleyball? Where did you hear about it? Was it always a part of your life, <laughs> that whole thing? Yeah, it's a funny story, actually. So I grew up around sports. Uh, I was a football and a basketball player before I was a volleyball player. Um, I grew up around hoops. Uh, my dad, actually, he played in the league. Um, he was the Clippers broadcaster for 19 years. Now he's a broadcaster for the Jazz. So I grew up. A ball boy in Staples Center, right? I grew up uh, around all of it. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And volleyball was actually the last sport I picked up, right? Mm-hmm. So it was going into high school. Um, it was actually my dad that suggested, right, hey, maybe, you know, I played volleyball in high school, you know, and it really helped my vertical mm-hmm. for basketball, right? right? Yeah. Great. Yeah, so give it a shot, right? And I still wasn't convinced, you know, it was all my friends played football and basketball. My sister played volleyball. I kind of thought it was a girl sport at that yeah, time. My sister played volleyball uh, as well. Exactly. So yeah. I, I had a little bit of that uh, notion towards the sport, right, incorrectly, which um, I didn't know yet. Um, and I was 14 years old. Uh, a guy who was going to be my freshman football coach the next year, he started a volleyball club, right? And he said, hey, pr- I promise you, and it's not where just was that? a girls club. Uh, it was down in South Orange County. I grew up in Dana Point. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. And he said, come try out this club. And I was fortunate enough that team I was on had guys who either their dads played or older brothers played at high levels, and they were all really good. 
Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Right? I had no idea, yeah. but I was tall. I was about six four when I was fourteen. Oh damn! And I was I'll tell you now six five. I was yeah, about so. to say you did. <laughs> you I hit thought, that growth spurt early, man. Yep, I thought yeah. I was going to have a little more, but uh, you know, six, eight, life had other plans. So I, in my dreams, I'd be six five. Right? Yeah. Um, Doctor told me I'd be six foot, and I'm standing here five nine. Yeah, and the uh, Come on, there you man. go. What a tease. Uh, the funny part about uh, volleyball, boys volleyball, when you're 14 and under, you play on the girls' net. Right. So okay. the girls' net yeah, is I mean, seven foot four. Okay. Right. A boys' net's eight, or men's net is eight feet tall. So I was oh, six okay. four playing on a seven four net. I wasn't very good, but I figured it out pretty quick, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was around all these guys who were pretty good at the game. So. Yeah. So because I was around these guys that were great athletes, they knew how to play the game at an early age, they showed me that, hey, this game is, is the real deal. It's super athletic. It's super fast-paced. It's super competitive. Um, our club team went and actually won uh, a Junior Nationals gold medal that year. So we went as far as you can go. We did it all. And, yeah, I fell in love with the sport after that. So That I, was your first year? That was my first year. Where, I, where was the tournament? Let's see. That tournament... Uh, it was in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, all right. Louisville, Kentucky is all where right. that tournament was. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I fell in love with it from there, and I continued. I played three sports through high school, but it was, yeah, into my junior year when I started thinking, you know, hey, I, I want to stick with this volleyball thing. So, yeah. Did you keep playing the basketball and, and football? Yeah, I kept playing. You know, I played football four years. I stopped basketball at my junior year because I knew by then I either want to play football or volleyball, so uh, I continued through my senior year with those two. Um, even even when I had decided I was going to go to Long Beach State and play volleyball, I still played football just for love of the game. Um, through that, through, that, through that senior year of, oh, of high school. Oh, I see yeah, what you're yeah. saying. I was like, I didn't play here. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're undefeated did, since 91. Yeah, you're football. darn right. right. You're yeah. darn right. We're not playing. Um, literally. Uh, so did basketball and volleyball have the same season in high school? No. Oh, okay, those no, are different. No, so they, uh, they bleed over a little bit. Right, okay. Right, so your basketball, but especially in high school, they're pretty cut and defined. Like in, in the college game, right, obviously basketball is going on right now. Yeah. Volleyball is going on right now. But technically, basketball is a winter sport. Volleyball is a spring sport for the boys. Um, so Got we start it. a little later in the college game, but in high school they're they're pretty split. It's only like playoffs might bleed into your your training camp week or whatever, like at the high school. Got it. Got it. All right. So let me. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. You you did coach a current Olympian, and well, I don't know if Tijuana is a is an Olympian, but definitely D- TJ DeFalco yep. is an Olympian. So so TJ DeFalco so, and Kyle Ensing. Right, Ensign, yes, yes who are was both, also are a both big Olympians in Tokyo, yeah. right? Josh Tuaniga was the alternate for that team. So Got if okay. a setter went down, he was the first guy up that's making that you know hopping on a plane and going to Tokyo. Okay, um, so tell me a little bit about uh, these guys. Yeah, man, they're obviously when when you're talking about uh, current volleyball players in the world, they're in the top one percent, right? They're in the top one percent. I was very fortunate that my first year is coming back. Uh, to the university as a coach, right, which was 17. Uh, The fall of 2017 is when I came back. I was a volunteer assistant then, right, was just in time for these guys making their run uh, for back-to-back national champions. Uh, And being in the gym with those guys, I mean, you can't be so proud as a coach that you can't learn from the players doing it right in front Mm. of you, right? Mm -hmm. Their, Their volley IQ was super high. The athleticism was obviously there. 
but it was pretty special to be a part of that run because they, you know, they were the top recruiting class in the country. They're supposed to do this and that. And and the two years before, they were all Americans. TJ was National Player of the Year as a sophomore, right? And they got to the Final Four back to back years, right? But unsuccessful, right? So there was a little bit when we got there of, you know, a different kind of determination when I came back that you could see in these guys of, you know what? We're going to get back there and we're going to get it done this time. So just being along, you know, for that ride was huge for me and, you know, my growth as a coach. Obviously, just getting the Division One job, right, or being a part of a program as a coach, right, and we go as far as you can go and do the whole thing. And we do it two years in a row, which, right, right doing it the second time, right, is, is exponentially harder than the first. Also, right. to like, that was the first year that men's volleyball was an official Big West Conference sport, right? That's exactly right. So that yep. was just like a landmark yep. period for this huge. program right It here. was huge for the program. Yeah. Um, we, uh, what we had to go through those years and, and those guys, right, the battles they had with right, some of the other programs that we faced in Final Fours, right, and adversity you faced in conference championships. It was – there's not much I could say except it was special to be a part of. And, and those guys have a long career ahead of them if – they're all making big money overseas right now. They're all, you know, planning on going to Paris this summer, right, and representing our country and our national team and hopefully bringing home a gold medal. Right on. Well, I think that's just about all the time we have today. Right on. Well. Thanks, McKay. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Yep, and go beach. That's right.